day and welcome to the second session of our containing COVID-19 um, seminar put on by Cool Logistics and Container News. My name's Nick Savides. I'm the Managing Editor at Container News. And uh, we had a very uh, pow powerful session in the first session with Rachel and the guys earlier today. It's going to be a tough one to follow, but fortunately I've got a, cra uh, a, a bunch of experts uh, here with me to, to support me. Uh, we'll be meeting Mike Yarwood from the TT Club and Craig Neem from HFW, as you can see, and Al Tammer from Orbcom. Um, so we're going to be discussing the technical um, issues and uh, 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 legal loss and, uh, and liability compliance uh, dimensions of the vaccine rollout uh, in this second session. Uh, so um, in, in order to, to just get this going, I'd like to ask Mike Yarwood to uh, uh, give a, a few words for us first, and, uh, and then we'll have uh, questions that come after the three uh, panellists have made their presentations or, or given their initial speeches. So I'd like to over to you, Mike. Okay, thank you very much, Nick, for the kind introduction. Um, Hopefully everybody now can see my slides. Um, so just to kick off, um, it was undoubtedly uh, positive news as various drug companies announced successful trials of their respective vaccine. Um, focus then, however, quickly turned to what was grandly labelled as the biggest logistics product project ever. And from a risk perspective, the challenge of distributing this particular commodity to every corner of the earth as required presents a series of truly unique safety and security challenges. It's hard to imagine a comparable product for wider value associated with the well-being of the global population, the societal benefits, and of course, the impact on the global economy. While many valuable commodities are only desired by a portion of the global population, um, here we have a commodity that the entire global population arguably need and must have in, a, in view to preserve life itself, but then also to return our, the way of life that we've become accustomed to back to some sort of normality. So in this session, we're going to quickly sort of touch upon some of the practical risk challenges facing those distributing the vaccine through the global supply chain. So vaccines specifically are not just perishable, of course, uh, but also subject to tight regulations in relation to transport and of particular relevance are controls in relation to traceability and evidence of integrity throughout the entire journey. There are various different vaccines, each with specific requirements as the, as the panelists on the previous session touched upon in terms of both storage and transit conditions, some involving some very extreme low temperature conditions. Clearly, the vaccine cargo is, is sensitive in nature, and given that the end user is you and I, it's absolutely critical that the integrity of this particular cargo is maintained throughout the entire journey. While there were initial concerns, and again, this was something voiced in the earlier session about the capability of transport equipment to serve these supply chains, to date, I think, certainly from my perspective, I've seen very few, if any, cases where such issues have um, actually come to light. So, the equipment itself seems to have handled the, the requirement very well so far. So I think contamination and a break in the integrity of the cargo chain is therefore likely to be the greater risk at play in, in this instance. Contamination risks will inevitably be amplified given the sensitive nature of the cargo. 
Carrying equipment will need to be clean, clear of debris, free of visible pests, and controlled to ensure that the previous loads will not taint, damage, or cause odour to, uh, to the vaccine cargo. We've already seen cases where trailers have been opened at destination to discover that migrants have accessed and entered the trailer using the truck or the cargo space as a means of crossing international borders without detection. In such circumstances, entire batches of vaccine will necessarily need to be destroyed through fear of contamination, even perhaps where there's no obvious sign of damage to the cargo. Similarly, incidents of attempted theft or even in the event simply that the security seal is damaged or broken, bring into question the integrity of the cargo. A cargo sufficiently sensitive that it's likely that an entire consignment could require destruction in the event of um, a concern. Turning towards theft, um, so through our analysis undertaken in developing our joint 2020 cargo theft report with BSI recently, it was evident just how much those cargoes targeted by thieves are influenced by market forces. Items such as face masks, antibacterial wipes and antibacterial gel would not have been on a list of vulnerable cargoes prior to 2020. However, through 2020, we witnessed spikes in activity of theft of these items as demand soared globally and there was a lag in supply. Where the vaccine is concerned, national policymakers have and will continue to determine approvals and demographic priorities. Demand, however, and popular expectation will often be that the distribution and availability are immediate and on a global scale. There will inevitably be those who fall outside of a defined demographic who will be willing to pay for an expedient access. And consequently, it was arguably inevitable that a black market would develop for these, for these vaccines. The ingenuity of thieves should never be underestimated, uh, nor their desire to generate funds from their activities. Despite the emotive context um, and the fact that we're now dealing with people's lives in the context of the vaccine, the vaccine supply chain is not immune from this type of threat. The vaccine is a commodity that is in high demand and restricted supply as governments purchase and decide upon their strategy to administer to the population. It's a prime contender for a target for, 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 for theft. We've already witnessed numerous thefts of vaccine and related commodities globally. Um, some of the product likely to be sold on the black market and the dark web, but perhaps of greater concern to all involved across the, the entire population is the risk of those stolen goods then being used to develop counterfeit versions of the various vaccines. There have been numerous stories in the trade press over the last months of arrests made and organisations disrupted in their efforts to manufacture and distribute counterfeit vaccines. While a quantity of counterfeit goods were reportedly seized and arrests made, it remains unclear as to what volumes of counterfeit vaccine had already been manufactured and already distributed through the global population. Also of consideration should be that the organisations behind such operations are likely to be very well organised and funded, so will unlikely be deterred by such a disruption in the short term. Where counterfeit goods are concerned in this context, there are probably two categories of issues in play. For the drugs companies and the manufacturers of the vaccines, the reputational damage potential and the impacts on the intellectual property rights. The second and equally important aspect is the question as to what the counterfeit vaccine actually is. There are a few rules on the black market. While modest values in Bitcoin might be demanded to purchase a vaccine dose, 
can the buyer be certain of what they're buying and what they're going to receive, if anything at all? And are they really prepared to inject whatever does arrive into their body? What is the product? And again, we've heard of stories where saline filled vials have been discovered in, in Europe and South America. Is the product of poor quality? Is it effective at all? Um, is it harmful to consume into the, into the human body? And does it even exist? There'll be plenty of examples of people um, buying um, what would appear to be fake vaccines um, and actually receiving nothing at all. And manufacturers are keen to mitigate these risks and employ various uh, methods to ensure that all batches are marked with unique seals and serial codes to support track and trace capability and a degree of transparency through the, uh, the vaccine supply chain. Again, this was something that was touched upon in the earlier session. So in terms of mitigating threats, um, all actors in the global supply chain must be increasingly alert to, the, to a range of risks due to criminal activity targeting the vaccine supply chain, from theft and illegal sale of authentic vaccines to counterfeiting, substitution with fake pharmaceuticals and contamination. The threats posed by criminals attempting to take advantage of this high value cargo are very widespread. Contamination with, with sorry, collaboration with local authorities and seamless supply chain um, sharing of information will assist in developing a thorough understanding of the risks and measures to mitigate those risks, which are likely to differ from country to country. I think, again, this was something that was touched upon this morning, but the sophistication of the supply chain and supply chain security is obviously going to differ from country to country. Where appropriate, the proposed supply chain should be kept as simple as possible in terms of the number of, number of modal changes, contractors and interchanges involved. Conduct risk assessments on the threat profile of the end-to-end -end supply chain from your customer right the way through to the final mile service provider. And finally, it would be prudent for, for those involved in the supply chain to review existing processes and procedures to ensure that they remain relevant, appropriate and proportionate to the activities that you're going to be undertaking. So I think that, Nick, brings me to the end of my slide set. Thank you very so much. Hand back to you at that point. Thank you. Uh, Mike, that was really interesting. It always amazes me how um, how ready people are to, uh, to, to invade the supply chain and to and and to steal goods even even as you as you mentioned in your presentation when they're uh, life-saving goods and it seems to be, make that much more valuable and i guess the the, the theft really uh, and the supply chain integrity uh, issues really lead us on to to who's liable for the for for the losses when they occur um and that segue really brings us to Craig Neem because he's going to tell us what we do about that hopefully um, so over to you Craig great um, good afternoon everyone I trust I can be heard clearly um, thank you very much uh, Nick for the introduction and for uh, Mike setting the scene on some of the uh, real world risks that are going to be encountered in relation to uh, security, counterfeits, etc. Um, what I'm going to try to do uh, this afternoon um, in a breakneck speed, I, I think, really within 10 minutes, is try to provide a, a legal overview um, in relation to the legal and regulatory environment in which the carriage of uh, vaccines by containers will take place. 
Um, but before I jump into that, perhaps a, a little bit of an introduction uh, to myself and also perhaps setting the scene for the creation of these vaccine supply chains. Um, I'm a partner in HFW, the global law firm. We're about six, 700 uh, lawyers globally in 19 offices. Um, and I specialize in container shipping, uh, freight forwarding um, with a lot of ocean carriage and also ports and terminals work, mainly with a containerized uh, orientation. Usually wearing that hat, I find myself advising really on very mature supply chains. Supply chains which have either grown organically over a long period of time in line with global trends or have just been continuing to grow slowly. So you tend to be looking at mature Asia Europe, uh, fast moving consumer goods supply chains or intra-Asia trades or Asia US trades. Um, occasionally, um, we tend to get involved in things like clinical trial uh, logistics for new pharmaceutical drugs where there might be a, um, a, a, a ad hoc creative supply chain, but still it's very well planned, not in the circumstances where there's a huge panic and a rush to create a supply chain from scratch. And that's what's so different about COVID-19 supply chains. They've led to the breakneck development and creation of totally novel supply chains at pace. First, we had the PPE supply chains, then we've got the test kit supply chains, and then we have the now, and probably the most important element is the global rollout of vaccine supply chains. And since March of last year, uh, my team and I, we've spent huge amounts of time helping clients to try to navigate the risks which arise out of implementing at breakneck speed novel supply chains in what are certainly in relation to the vaccine side of things, a very heavily regulated environment. And what we've helped uh, companies do is to try to create new contractual structures and risk mitigation strategies to facilitate those supply chains. As I said, it started off with PPE and tests and we handled, helped advise on well over a billion dollars worth of PPE uh, contracts. Um, but also now we're looking at vaccine supply chains. And I think mentioned in the earlier session this morning was the uh, novel innovative approach adopted in relation to uh, the procurement of the Moderna vaccine into uh, the Philippines, where there was a three-way uh, contractual relationship, uh, three-way um, relationship between uh, the government of the Philippines, uh, ICTSI Foundation, which is a, um, a, a charitable arm of ICTSI, the big terminal operator, um, and uh, Moderna as a three-way group. And ICTSI Foundation acted as a facilitator on behalf of the private sector to procure 7 million doses of the Moderna vaccine. And this innovative contractual structure is one I, uh, which will no doubt be duplicated elsewhere, but also um, is illustrative of just how novelty in supply chains means novel approaches. So what are we looking at in terms of uh, the particular legal and regulatory issues that arise in relation to these vaccine supply chains? So, what I've done on this slide is I've broken really the, the risks down into two categories. And most people who will be attending the uh, uh, session today um, come from a logistics uh, background and no doubt familiar with carriage of dangerous goods by air, by sea, by road, um, and in relation to uh, the you know, IMO, um, uh, verified gross mass, and other regulatory obligations which are imposed by SOLAS on, on ship operators and indeed other supply chain participants like freight forwarders. But what presents itself in relation to vaccine supply chains is an incredibly 
highly regulated um, pharmaceutical set of rules, which has to be negotiated. And what makes it more complicated is that there are no one single set of pharma rules. And you will have seen this, of course, in relation to vaccine approvals around the world in the context of uh, the uh, Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine, and how different countries or different trading blocks, um, which are, are represented by a single regulatory body, are approving at different speeds and indeed potentially for different uses. So those who are moving into trying to provide logistic services, whether that is port to port or door to door, purely looking after the container supply chain, or indeed a full end-to-end -end supply chain, chain um, helping vaccine manufacturers from their finished goods warehousing through to final delivery at vaccination centers, you do need to be aware that what you will be doing is moving into probably the most heavily regulated um, global trade that there is in which to participate. Um, but broadly speaking, the role of pure transport operators is one of the least regulated parts. But you do need, in, in order to be participating in a full end-to-end -end supply chain, I think to be very cognizant of the risks that the um, other participants and stakeholders in the supply chain are subject to. And to keep it very simple, the regulatory structure is roughly as follows. Most countries um, where they have a regulatory approval body will grant a vaccine um, in when it's not being rushed out, a commercialization license, so a marketing license to market that vaccine. Um, at the moment, most vaccines which are being released for COVID-19 do not have a full marketing authorization in any of the countries in which they're being used. What they have at the moment are mainly temporary authorizations or emergency authorizations, depending upon the formal um, acronym or uh, used in the country, EUA, or temporary authorization TA. And what that does is allows, in respect to most vaccines, the vaccine uh, supplier to supply the vaccine to a population through usually a national health authority or another uh, organization which has been authorized by government approval to distribute and indeed maybe even administer the vaccines. So any supply chain in which a container shipping line wants to participate, a port operator or a freight forwarder needs to be thinking about has the relevant supply chain uh, acquired all the relevant licenses in order to release that vaccine into the country in which the vaccines are going to be administered. Is there an, uh, an emergency authorization or temporary authorization in place? And I would advocate that anybody participating in, this, uh, in these supply chains needs to be checking these and not taking it for granted. What then normally happens is you'll have a distributor license where in a country where the manufacturer doesn't have its own operations, it may want to distribute the vaccines by means of a distributor who has high levels of uh, governance um, and uh, systems and processes to make sure that the relevant vaccine rules and regulations and conditions which appear in the authorization are complied with. And then normally there might be a wholesale license for those to wholesale the items if they've got a marketing authorization, and then ultimately it's the end user of the vaccine who uh, will receive the vaccine. Uh, and in the case of COVID supply chains, almost certainly by government sponsored or approved uh, vaccination centers. So when you are thinking of participating in a vaccine supply chain, uh, be conscious of the uh, pervasive pharmaceutical regulatory risks and how they can differ for by country, and you need to be specific to each.
But as well as pharma regulatory, what we are increasingly seeing, of course, is some inverted commas vaccine nationalism going on. Um, there is a, at the moment, uh, a relatively small vaccine supply relative to global demand. And we're seeing countries become increasingly concerned about um, retaining for their own population sufficient quantities of vaccines. So again, thinking about the regulatory environment in which these vaccines will also be moving by sea, you need to be thinking about, are they potentially subject to export controls? And if they are, do those export controls apply to me, the ship operator, the freight forwarder, who's facilitating the goods, uh, carriage of the goods, or the port and terminal that may be discharging uh, the goods before therefore onward carriage to a national or regional distribution center. So being aware of those regulatory environments is key. And then there's the um, uh, other risks that flow from uh, the, uh, the supply chains. Regulatory risks I've talked to, but reputational risks. All of the participants, particularly the manufacturers and the regulatory bodies are keen to make sure that none of these uh, vaccines acquire a bad reputational impact for them. Um, if the vaccines are not administered properly, if they are not carried uh, and stored in accordance with the applicable conditions, good distribution practice, et cetera, then um, if there are negative effects uh, on uh, populations as a result of uh, the regulatory rules not being applied with, then there could be significant reputational risk for regulatory bodies, for manufacturers, and indeed for participants, particularly if obviously there are death and deaths and personal injury. And then the final risks really are supply chain and logistics risks. And these you might say are the sort of the normal risks um, that arise out of any supply chain, whether it's the carriage of diamonds uh, by armored vehicles or whether it's the carriage of pharmaceutical goods, zinc cathodes, theft attractive goods like them and cigarettes, etc. There's the normal delay risks, cargo loss or damage risks, uh, loss of um, custody of control and being able to monitor the integrity of the goods by way of monitoring the serial numbers, lack of visibility, etc. So how do we mitigate these risks? Well, I think some of this echoes what the earlier speakers said, including Mike. Only, I think, the most, the most important thing, I think, for anybody who's considering developing vaccine cold, state, cold chain services, specifically uh, with the COVID epidemic in mind, is think about your proven comp competencies. Vaccine supply chains, pharma generally, and particularly when the supply chains are being built at great pace from scratch, acquire greater risks probably than any other type of supply chain. So my advice to all our clients that we're advising um, in relation to vaccine uh, products is only undertake the services in which you have a proven competency. Do not stray into areas where you've never worked before. Unlike carrying consumer goods, textiles, electronics, um, these the reputational impact of getting it wrong, the regulatory impact of getting it wrong, both for you and your customer can be huge. And then there's a question about um, participants. As Mike said earlier, uh, our general view is to try to keep participants down to a minimum. But obviously in a complicated multimodal vaccine supply chain, you are going to necessarily either be a subcontractor to someone or subcontract to someone. So only contract with parties which demonstrate high degrees of regulatory compliance, corporate governance and operational excellence and do undertake robust due diligence on all, both, both your customer and indeed on your subcontractors. Now, I mentioned, of course, that this is so highly regulated. Now, just because your customer says it's fine to undertake the services, 
um, is, is uh, obviously helpful, but it's not going to potentially discharge you of a non-delegable duty that might be imposed upon you under the applicable regulation. So be clear whenever you're taking on a new bit of vaccine-related business on the regulatory position for that relevant supply chain and obtain comfort from your customer in a contract that the appropriate authorizations and licenses are in place. As Mike said, be careful about participating in overly complex vaccine supply chains with extended chains of custody with numerous participants in them. The greater the number of handling processes, the greater the possibility there is of people uh, not being able to point to where a cause of a vaccine, um, for example, temperature failure took place or hand or um, removal of the vaccine from the dry ice or refrigeration and being able to pin it on a particular person. The ideal scenario is to be buying from really an integrator of these services if you're a customer, or if you're buying from multiple participants, again, make sure that they're the great parties. Clearly define the scope of the services in the contract to avoid any uncertainty and obtain in your contract certainty with both customers and subcontractors on key responsibilities, risk allocation, liability, and insurance. Ensure then, once you've actually designed that supply chain and you're very on you're clear on what services you're providing, what the other counterparts are, document it. It's absolutely key to document it and create off signed off SOP, standard operating procedures for all the participants. And last but not least, implement robust systems and processes to create that paper trail that in respect to the services that you've agreed to take up, taken on, to take on, and the um, operational requirements in respect to those services, that you are creating a paper trail, a data trail, to prove that you've discharged your contractual obligations. You don't want to be the one who ultimately the government, the, the vaccine receivers, and the customer is pointing the finger at. So those, I would say, are the main takeaways into mitigating risks. And I will now pass you back to Nick, who will uh, introduce you to the next speaker. Thank you. Thank you, Craig. Uh, and I, I, I guess I always knew that the uh, supply chain was complex. Um, I, for, for pharma, I would imagine it's 10 times more complex. Um, and I take your point that you have to know who you're dealing with. And what we heard from the first uh, session this uh, today was that communication was was absolutely crucial in the uh, in, in the dispensing of these vaccines and the supply chains. Um, and, and in a sense, that is that is where we get to with our next speaker, Al Tamer from Orbcom, because communication, uh, facilitating communication, is is his business, and uh, uh, and that I think comes from the data. Uh, and the monitoring of, of containers that uh, Orbcom allows. So, you know, but we'll come back to this, I'm sure, uh, but, but there should, should there be, uh, I, I'm thinking out loud now, should there be a, a global regulation or regulatory uh, system for pharma? Perhaps that's a, a thought we can think of and that'd be the first question that the panel can answer after Al Tama has uh, given us his, his thoughts. Sure, and thank you, Nick, and uh, hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining today. Uh, over the next few minutes, I'm going to uh, just make some comments on the use of uh, data and digitalization for containerized vaccine logistics. Based on Orbcom's work across the maritime containers, the ports, uh, and intermodal and over-the-road space, there's a tech showcase session coming up later today 
uh, where I'll present slides and go into more detail on some of the latest developments and what's on the horizon for IoT container and maritime data technology. So please tune in for that. So the pandemic has accelerated calls for digitalization and container shipping and logistics. Uh, even well before COVID-19, the industry was recognizing that container telematics, smart containers as we call them, provide a key building block for digitalization as they generate automated data that tells you what is actually happening in real time versus what was expected or hoped or believed to have happened. This is an imperfect world. So whether it's a malfunctioning or unplugged reefer unit, a temperature excursion, a vessel or a port delay, a lane deviation, or one of many other known cold chain breakdowns, especially at the handoff points, IoT provides crucial information for everybody to make supply chains work and mitigate the inevitable breakdowns. Bit by bit, and it's not a short journey when you think about how many pieces of transport equipment and assets we're talking about, IoT is turning logistic assets from dark, dumb, and disconnected to visible, smart, and connected. And asset visibility paves the way for supply chain visibility. As the last year has shown more than ever, knowing the location of ships, containers, trucks, and other key transport equipment moving cargoes across the supply chain is more important than ever to understanding supply chain performance. With respect specifically to cold container chain and vaccine logistics, in 2020, we saw new reefer container builds and factory installations of telematics reaching unprecedented levels. COVID-19 has absolutely solidified the case for using IoT technology to provide automated real-time visibility to supply chains in general, but especially to manage temperature-sensitive refrigerated cargoes such as food, pharma, and healthcare. For vaccine logistics, this technology is and will continue to be crucial. Temperature management, compliance, and chain of custody are of course vital. So some of the ways that these uh, IoT is now addressing the main issues are by allowing two-way real-time monitoring and control of refrigerated containers, which provides rapid al alerts and allows for corrective action in case of temperature excursions. Remote data downloads help manage the chain of custody that we just heard about in the previous presentation and monitoring key service level agreements, such as vessel to port plug-in times, ensures cargo integrity. And of course, on-vessel and on-land visibility uh, provides real-time location tracking. As we've already seen with the FISMA Food Safety Modernization Act in the United States, plus GDP and GAMP5 for pharmaceuticals, regulators are highly emphasizing quality control and traceability from production to consumption to keep populations safe. As part of that, they're mandating top levels of data quality and integrity. And that's nowhere more so than with vaccines. Protecting the cold chain from data tampering and fraudulent compliance is vital. And as we have experience from our work with over-the-road pharma transport in Europe and the US, not all data is good data. And that's part of the bigger picture of illicit, illicit activity as we've heard about today of uh, some of the earlier presentations and from uh, Mike at TT Club just earlier. So of course, temperature compliance is the number one metric, but detecting tampering and theft is also crucial. High value vaccines are a huge target for theft and there is a massive black market. IoT can play a key role when it comes to detecting and deterring theft in several ways as it has for other sensitive supply chains. 
IoT can identify when and if assets deviate from planned routes with live location data. Sensors can notify of unauthorized door openings and unloading events and can help reduce loading and unloading wait times. And wireless tags and sensing technology at the shipment level can help detect tampering and damage. Underlying all this is the fact that the smart reefer container is getting smarter all the time. More robust telematics devices with many more sensors allow cargo to talk from inside the box. And with broader connectivity options, we're eliminating dead spots on land and closing the gap and enabling visibility at sea. In tandem with other technologies such as AIS, Container IoT will play a vital part in the global cold chain vaccine logistics rollout to enable visibility and control at land and sea. So please tune into my upcoming tech showcase for more information on IoT technology for containers and the marine landscape. Thank you, and back to you, Nick. Thank you, Al. Um, and uh, well, that's that's critical, I guess. The the connect the connectivity um, uh, for. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, sorry, my my computer went strange there. Uh, yeah, no, the, the connectivity is absolutely crucial in in uh, smart supply chains, uh, and and I guess that's getting better. But you mentioned the connect the the connectivity uh, uh, having dead spots. Where are those dead spots? Why why do we have them? Yeah, so the dead spots when you're talking about uh, IoT technology can come from a, a variety of sources. Uh, one of them can be simply uh, if you're talking about a cellular uh, type of device, not having access to, to cellular. As we know, the world is not blanketed by uh, cellular, uh, you know, cellular networks. Um, it, it, and the same goes for any other type of communication technology that you're using, be it something like a NB-IoT or LoRa or, or Wi-Fi. So that's one of the, the main dead spots. Uh, Okay. And, and Craig, uh, could I bring you in here and, and go back to the question that I, that I posed uh, in between uh, yours and Al's um, uh, presentations? Should, should we have a, a regulatory um, system which is global for, for pharma or, or for vaccines generally? I mean, I think, I think obviously that's a political question ultimately, but um, I would say practically um, it's going to be incredibly difficult to obtain. Um, you've got obviously different countries with different uh, views on what constitutes a, uh, a you know a, an acceptable risk, um, you know, as compared to another. Um, so, I mean, there is a lot of similarity in uh, regulatory environments. So, for example, um, in respect of manufacturing um, and respect of distribution of uh, pharmace pharmaceutical drugs generally. There are at WHO level um, two key uh, guidance documents, which are good manufacturing practice for manufacturing, which can also, to an extent, also apply to logistics operations such as co-packing and documentation. Yeah. Uh, then you've also got good distribution practice as well, GDP. And any um, of the attendees to this uh, event today who wants to participate in the distribution of vaccines, whether that is just restricted to uh, carriage in reefer container from an inland uh, CFS to a uh, to a final uh, delivery point um, or doing port to port will will need to be 
subject to the, well, have imposed on it, at least by the person with whom it contracts good distribution practice compliance. But what you need to do if you're just doing the, you know, the, the container leg is, is much less onerous than comparing to storing and pick pack operations in running a cold storage warehouse. Okay, thank you. I have a, a message from, uh, or a question, sorry, for, from the floor for Mike and Al. Um, and uh, the, they, I'm not sure who this has come from, perhaps from Rachel. Uh, what's needed now for further development and provision for security solutions, track, trace, security seals, and other? Uh, Al, do you want to take that first? Sure. I think, um, and this is kind of an overarching uh, commentary, but the, the question speaks to it. Um, you know, when it comes to data, we, we've heard a lot about data today, and even in these presentations. Um, data exists uh, in, in very many forms. So I think the, first, the most important thing is making that data available. You know, we have the tools uh, through uh, APIs um, that, it, uh, for example, um, and, you know, standards that are being published to share data effectively and, and quickly and easily. Um, and so that's uh, the first barrier that we need to overcome and maybe the most important. Um, you know, when you talk about IoT and sensors and devices that you're putting um, on assets and even down to a cargo level, um, it generates data. Um, but you have to provide that visibility to the key stakeholders. And that goes for, you know, security and track and trace as the, the question just uh, mentioned. And then the last thing that I would say is, um, in the container space in particular, um, you know, IoT adoption has been slow. It's something that I've talked about a lot. So we need to continue to foster, um, you know, the uh, more on a more wide basis globally, you know, the use of, of IoT. Okay, do you want to take that uh, mic as well? Yeah, sure. I, I guess maybe just to add, I think, um, you know, one of the fundamental things, and I, I think to a degree technology assists and enables this is, collaboration through, throughout the supply chain, you know, um, understanding the end-to-end -end supply chain, who all the stakeholders are, right the way down to the final mile delivery. Um, and as Craig touched upon, building sufficient and robust contracts then to set clear expectations of all, um, but then obviously to thoroughly manage and make sure that those expectations are being met. Um, I, I think that's, that's kind of really key and important, creating a transparency. Um, through the supply chain and, and as Al sort of mentioned there, part of the technology and the support in the background really enables that now to uh, to become a reality. You know, the, the sort of real time track trace, um, incident interventions, um, notifications. So I think the technology really does start to underpin that. But I, I think underpinning it, it all is, is that initial understanding of the end to end supply chain, who the stakeholders are, setting the expectations in terms of the use of technology and then really been able to sort of monitor and um, trace that all the way through the supply chain. Thanks. Um, Michael Carlson Seymour has made a comment here, um, which I'd like to uh, I'd just like to, to mention. It's, he says uh, it's crucial that IoT SAAS live tracking service providers need to ensure that connectivity on the ground, GPS, GSM, cell, and at sea via the ship's communication system and ensure real-time visibility and I'm su I suppose he's suggesting that that doesn't that doesn't always happen um, which I think uh, Al, Al already uh, suggested there are dead spots so that's the, so that's the case could that be a, a major problem Mike for 
you know, at any any situation where there is a, a legal um, liability issue? Potentially the dead spots, yes. Um, I, I, my understanding is that that coverage is is improving all the time. I think Al might be better <laughs> better place maybe to, to comment on that specifically. But yeah, I mean, going back to some of Craig's earlier points, you know, having the contractual framework to be able to identify exactly who was in charge, care, custody and control of the cargo when an event happened is absolutely key. But then two, the technology underpinning that could really obviously help and evidence exactly where that happens. Mm -hmm. um, so the dead spots are, they've got to be a concern. Um, but like I said, I, I believe the technology is improving all the time. So the, the dead spots should be coming fewer and fewer. Yeah, can, can I, I add on that, Nick, uh, if you don't mind? Yes. Uh, I, I agree with what, what Mike said. Um, I think, yes, the technology is improving on, on both sides, right? Not only the, the networks that are available, but also on the device side. Um, you know, with the devices now having the capability to communicate to so many networks, right? The LTE networks in, in many, you know, different countries, which, you know, require the support of so many different bands. Um, and then other, you know, networking technologies as well, such as uh, LoRa and satellite. Um, and Bluetooth, you really do eliminate the dead spots. And I would say that because the cargos are in constant transit, the, the dead spots are, um, they're, they're, they're not significant in terms of they're just a delay of the real time uh, notifications. It's not um, that you're, you're caught in a dead spot, right? It's just that you transit through it briefly. So the technology yeah. exists and, and the tools are there, you know, to provide exactly what was described in the comment. You know, full visibility at sea through uh, satellite and, you know, full on ground through the, the various different communications. So the tools are definitely there. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> can, I just, can I just add putting all the technology into a, um, you know, a risk context as well. Um, authorizations for distributing uh, a vaccine in a given territory will be subject to conditions in terms of transparency, traceability, and monitoring the integrity of a given consignment. It, this isn't just a matter of, is there a count, you know, are we trying to prevent counterfeit or theft? This is also about the person who obtains the authorization will lose that authorization and will probably potentially, you know, certainly be potentially face fines, but could face criminal uh, uh, sanctions on them if that supply chain is not rigorous. So I think that's the thing, you know, to distinguish this from your consumer electronics supply chain, your um, flat packed furniture supply chain and your clothing supply chain. This is a supply chain where mistakes really are not tolerated at all, which really goes back to my opening comments. Only take on services within your competency. Make sure that you can deliver what you're promising to deliver. I mean, look, everybody wants to stretch their competency, okay? And that's that's great, but do it you know, with eyes open and make sure that you can finally deliver, whether that's through partnership arrangements with uh, you know, JV partners and think about the contractual allocation of risk there, whether it's subcontracting to somebody with a, a very strong uh, experience in the pharma supply chain, so on and so forth. But you know, the, these, the, you know, monitoring the integrity of the supply chain and being able to prove where the goods are at any one time, the vaccines are at any one time is crucial. 
Thank, thank you, Craig. Um, I was just about to ask you if you wanted to say something, but you jumped in first. <laughs> um, I, I, I would uh, um, appreciate the uh, more questions from the floor. Uh, we do have some already in, in line, but please do keep those questions coming in. The next one is from Achil Yaman, who asks, uh, well, who says, really interesting presentations, how to address compliance issues with regard to cybercrime that grew considerably during COVID-19 crisis. So I'm, I'm assuming um, th this is an online kind of crime. Um, so I'm not sure how that translates into the, the physical world and the loss of vaccines. Uh, perhaps Achil, you could uh, explain that a bit more for us. But is cybercrime an issue in 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 this in this world in this uh, uh, scenario that we're looking at? Uh, could I could I perhaps make some comments on that? Yes, please. Yeah. Okay. So you are talking potentially here of you know there's two million uh, vaccines which they're aiming to get into Covax within 22 from recollection. Uh, sorry, two billion I think uh, getting into Covax. Um, you know, if we're talking everybody in the world to be receiving two doses, we're talking, you know, seven, seven times two doses or Janssen one dose. But let's say you got 10 billion doses yes. um, to distribute 10 billion doses of vaccines throughout the whole world is going to take some exceptional IT in every single uh, territory in which that vaccine is going to be administered. Every single, you know, you because of the authorization requirements, you've got to monitor and be uh, clear on where every single vial is at any one time. So you do need uh, very powerful IT. You also need to make sure that when people turn up for their receive their dosage, they're going to they're, they're not coming, uh, they're not faking who they are, identity theft. They're not having more doses than they're meant to have, so on and so forth. So the whole vaccine supply chain globally um, or thousands upon thousands of supply chains will have to be underpinned by robust uh, IT which then needs to be protected against potential cybercrime. Now I haven't come across any yet but I can tell you when we've been involved in projects it's been one of the big concerns we've had is the client or the government with whom we're contracting are they buying a system which is going to be um, adequately protected against uh, what will be in due course quite aggressive forces to try to divert vaccines? One of the biggest concerns that all the vaccine manufacturers are going to have is diversion of, of vaccines. Somebody getting into the IT system and instead of sending it to a local vaccination center in place A, it gets diverted to the rogue thieves premises in place B. So very good question, I think, from Michael Yamen. I don't think it's a big issue at the moment. Most of the purchasing is being done by, I think, um, uh, more uh, developed world markets where they've got pretty good IT systems already. But the more we get into uh, poorer countries, emerging markets with less IT infrastructure and mature vaccine distribution networks, um, you're going to have to create new IT from scratch. And that's going to be more uh, susceptible to IT cybercrime. Thanks, uh, Craig. Um, Al, do you have a, a view on this? Uh, is there a technological e element to this cybercrime? I mean, I'm sure there is, but... Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a question that uh, we come across in, uh, all the time 
Um, and it's part of our everyday life uh, as well, right? Um, we hear about the, the largest uh, companies in the world and the most sophisticated technological systems getting hacked. Um, and it seems that nobody uh, is, uh, you know, just nobody is fully protected against that. And it's a, it's a harsh reality to, uh, and a harsh message to deliver that, um, you know, there, there is no panacea or silver bullet that can protect um, you know, whatever data you're trying to protect uh, with the right um, amount of, of effort and the right parties, uh, you know, things can be hacked. But of course, there are, you know, many, many layers of protection that are super robust. It is not an easy endeavor. Um, but unfortunately, you know, a, as I mentioned earlier, it's just, it's part of the, the, the reality of the world today. Uh, you know, if you have a system and it's protected by security, uh, someone may endeavor to, to hack it. And, uh, and it's just something to be aware of. As Craig said, though, I think coming back to the vaccine space, it's not something that we've seen, you know, to date. And in general, um, with IoT, you know, and uh, things living in the cloud and using some of those largest, uh, you know, service providers behind them, like the largest websites in the world, uh, from an IoT perspective, to date, you know, we've, we've been pretty well protected uh, from, from that perspective. Thank you. Um, and Mike, um, from your perspective, I mean, I, I think, even before computers and IoT were, were around and, and thought of in the supply chain, there was a risk, an element of risk to any supply chain. Um, has that really changed with, with uh, the introduction of computers and digitalization? Yeah, I, I think it very much has. And I think that a lot of this sort of frauds and the techniques modus operandi we see when we're investigating sort of these, these incidents are not new. <laughs> They're very much the same ones that were conducted 20, 30, 40 years ago. What the internet and computer technology is enabling is, is a, a seamless and a much more efficient access, I, th I think, to, to the criminal fraternity. Um, you know, they're able to exchange information and data themselves very quickly. Um, you know, the technology, the dark web provides and facilitates the sale of stolen goods, whether they be genuine or counterfeit so very much so I, th I think it, it's it's not changed the way crime necessarily is undertaken and these these sort of strategies are, are adopted but it very much facilitates sort of a, a, a wider array of um, criminals becoming coming into into the market as it were um, you know we, we have seen over the last few years sort of almost a, a pay to play you know paying for cyber crime services you know you can literally buy the the product that that enables you then even without sort of in-depth knowledge to to undertake some of these activities so very much in a an enabler i would say yeah okay can we uh, can we just change tack a bit we have a question from brian fitzgerald who asks the large container lines are installing rmus telematics stroke telematics what percent of the world reefer fleet has installed these units does anybody know? Sure. Yeah, I can chime in on that. Um, to date, uh, when it comes to, to reefer containers, uh, about 35% um, have been installed uh, globally, and that number is growing every day. Um, 2020, as I mentioned, saw a big uh, push for telematics coming out of the factory with new reefer builds. We've all heard how containers in general uh, were in you know, short supply, so uh, new containers were built at a ferocious rate. And with the uh, the need for visibility, you know, in these uh, troubling times, uh, becoming even highlighted, uh, many more uh, 
reefer containers came out of the factory with those telematics installed. So I think we are going to continue to see that trend uh, grow. We've seen accelerated adoption just over the last you know year and year to two years. So, but uh, to, to date, the number is between 35 and 40 percent. Okay, thank you. Uh, Paul Mayo asks, uh, has blockchain got a part to play in robust data transfer uh, for these for these uh, vaccines? Um, who, who wants to take that? Is that is that your you again now? Or is that? Yeah, I can start off. I mean, blockchain, I think for sure has a, a role to play. Um, you know, the adoption of, of blockchain, I guess, is one uh, barrier. Uh, but as it becomes more widely adopted, it's perfect for for data sharing and for data integrity as well. Um, what we also have are many different uh, bodies, the, the UNCFAC, for example, providing data standards um, you know, that allow for the easy sharing uh, of data. And um, you know, what that does is it protects the sensitive data, or I should say the data that you may not want to share while sharing the data that um, is needed by the uh, supply chain stakeholders. So, Many different efforts have been highlighted. One there in the UNC fact, we have you know the, the Container Owners Association Unified Data Model, the DCSA, and it goes on and on. But so blockchain, but also standards, um, I think are key to uh, to allowing uh, this type of visibility. Standards um, tend to be or need to be global again. So we're back to this uh, global versus local or regional regulatory authorities but but can can blockchain be a, uh, a, a help for the legal profession in in any cases uh, Craig is that is that a, a way of making sure that whoever has shipped uh, what they say they've shipped is in fact a, a legitimate person or a legitimate company that is that a help I mean yes it will be in in due course I'm if we do get you know, full end-to-end -end use of uh, blockchain with all the participants at each step in the supply chain participating and uh, of the same distributed ledger technology ensuring that the envelope of data retains integrity, then that can only be good for avoiding diversion of vaccines, for example, or theft of vaccines or mis-declaration um, accidentally through data entry process of vaccines. So on and so forth. So yes, it would be it would you know it would be great evidence uh, as to what's physically gone wrong on the ground if anything does go wrong. But hopefully, also limit the number of physical problems. Can can that affect insurance as well, Mike? Is that uh, likely? I think from an, an investigation perspective, as Craig kind of alluded to there, I think it's it could potentially um, you know really really be of assistance. Um, in providing sort of a full audit trail of what's gone on through that particular supply chain. I think the one question um, in, in my mind has always been around data ownership and who might have access to a particular critical data point within the blockchain in the event of something going catastrophically wrong um, you know, and, and whether the, the owner of that data would be able to divulge it or whether, whether sort of critical parties would be able to actually access it. So, yeah, I, I think... It, in the round, I think it would be of benefit, absolutely, in the in the investigation process. Okay, and uh, we're, we're we're reaching the uh, the our, our crucial time, so I'm wondering if uh, if you guys want to to um, sum up uh, your the discussion or, or any any uh, do you do you have any final thoughts, if you like, is the is the word, Mike? Do you want to start? 
Yeah, of course. Um, and maybe just addressing one, one of the questions, partially at least from the audience there, around sort of information security. Um, we, we have sort of mentioned collaboration, sharing information as being sort of key measures to, to really mitigate this type of risk. Um, you know, speaking with your customer up front and having that sort of transparent relationship, making sure the contractual side is robust, uh, building service level agreements, uh, you know, and, and they, I suspect, would include provisions for um, notification of incidents and near misses. Um, but information security is also a, a key sort of uh, issue at play here. You know, as a, a stakeholder in the supply chain who's awarded a contract to ship these vaccines, you know, you would be very proud, no doubt. It's a, it's a global effort to, to get these uh, shipped and over the line. But actually making announcements about doing so and having those contracts in the, in the wrong hands, that information is obviously very damaging potentially for the supply chain stakeholder and very valuable to the criminal fraternity that are looking to infiltrate the supply chain the entire time to, to gain access. So information security is, again, another critical point, I think, that was kind of teased out in, in the question there. Uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, Craig, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, you were talking actually earlier about reputational damage. Uh, through some of these incidents. Perhaps you'd like to expand a little bit on that too. Very happy to do that, Nick. So, I mean, the obviously we're talking about products here which are not uh, being used as consumables in a domestic environment. That We're not talking about buying a chair. We're not talking about buying a, a, a nice jacket or a dress to wear on a Saturday evening out. We're, we're talking here about uh, products which are designed to save lives and products, if they're um, uh, counterfeited, uh, could have the very opposite effect. Um, also, if the products are not kept appropriately uh, in accordance with the terms of the uh, regulatory approval, um, then the party who's obtained that regulatory approval and committed to exceptionally onerous conditions um, will potentially find themselves, as I mentioned earlier, subject to a fine, subject potentially to criminal investigations, and subject even to political investigation in due course. Um, if there is a systemic problem with vaccine supply chains in a given country, you can see um, state investigations taking place afterwards. So the reputational impact of taking on some services um, and then not executing them in accordance with the contractual regime or um, in accordance with the regulatory authorization, could have a massive impact on a given participant's uh, reputation. Uh, you do not want to be the party who's in front of the, uh, you know, the Senate select the Senate committee or the uh, House of Parliament in London uh, select committee in front of um, the, uh, the the bigwigs of politics being cross-examined on why that supply chain went wrong. I don't think that would be accretive to anybody's. Um, uh, balance sheet value and uh, market capitalization. Excellent, thank you, Craig. Um, Al, you you, uh, you you suggested that uh, that data is critical. There's going to be uh, much wider availability of data and monitoring. Um, are we in danger of being flooded with too much data in in the in this uh, data driven world? Yeah. I, I, I tend to say that there is no such thing as too much data. Um, you know, 
the good thing about data is when you start generating it, you might not know what to do with it at first, but you collect histories. And once you have a, you know, you aggregate larger uh, data sets, you're able to, you know, apply the uh, machine learning and the, the artificial intelligence algorithms to them and derive learnings that uh, you may not have even expected. So I don't think there's ever such a thing as, as too much data um, or superfluous data. I think I'll make a additional comment on some, one of the themes that seem to come up a, a lot in this uh, in this session, which is around the sharing of, of data and maybe the sensitivity or, or reluctance, reticence to, to share data. Um, it has been a historical challenge, but I think it's something that one um, is becoming less a, of an issue. Um, there are, of course, you know, sensitive uh, you know uh, data points that you know do not have to be, uh, can be held back, I guess, just for the owner's uh, use and, and not made widely available. But the, the critical data for, you know, stakeholders along the supply chain, um, definitely, you know, the, the tools are there to share them. And I think the world is moving towards that, you know, to use some simple um, analogies, we, we live in, a, in an Amazon type world now. And, uh, you know, seeing where something is at all times, even when there's bad news, uh, you know, something is delayed or something has been damaged. Um, that data, you know, empowers you and allows you to prepare for those, uh, you know, unexpected exceptions. And that's really what the, uh, what the supply chain needs, um, being able to react to something in real time, uh, to take corrective actions, to um, make sure that, you know, shelves aren't empty, or that, you know, uh, perishables, you know, uh, have the expected uh, expiration, uh, you know, dates and, and are dealt with some in, in a kind of a first in, first out, you know, to, to ensure, you know, quality uh, rather than, uh, you know, uh, the, the normal methods. So the, the world is asking for it. Everybody is asking for, for more data. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, although there have been some sensitivities around that, the data sharing is becoming, you know, uh, you know better. And these, uh, it's being fostered by the standards bodies that I, I was speaking about earlier. And it is done on a global basis, Nick, uh, you know, follow up on a comment uh, you made earlier. These are global standards. So, so that is good news. And, and Nick, just going back to the pharmaco, you know, the reporting that the authorization holder has to have. The authorization holder by the government uh, that's sort of given the authorization will be required to report all the data um, about the supply chain um, uh, to back to that government. And contractually, vaccine suppliers will impose upon the lead logistics provider an obligation to report for many, many years to come uh, any data about the supply chain and almost certainly will want audit rights in respect of the logistics providers' files, data, um, information, and that will then need to be cascaded down to all sub-participants as well. So I don't think there's actually, I think both there's a good reason operationally why you need good quality data, but there's also a very powerful regulatory one as well. Excellent. Thank you, Craig. And, and thank you, uh, Mike and Al, too, for, for all your uh, presentations and insights. It's been, it's been um, a real education. I wish we could carry on the conversation. Um, unfortunately, we've run out of time, uh, but I can see a common thread uh, through this morning's presentation and, uh, uh, and, today, and, and this, this, this one today, uh, just now, is uh, communication and the criticality of, of allowing the communication and making those communications clear and concise. So I'm sorry, I'm going to have to bring it to a close. But before I do, I've been asked to uh, 
to apologize for the uh, issues surrounding the networking lounges at the last break. Um, and that they have been resolved, I'm told. So uh, that, that's great news. If you'd like to go to the networking lounges now, you can do that. Um, and we'd like to see you at the next panel with the keynote speeches coming up. So thank you very much, uh, gentlemen, for your time and your consideration. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.